Hi, and welcome to Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. Today's chat is with Ian Alexander. Now, I've never actually met Ian in person, but he reached out on Instagram um, a while back just to say that he'd been inspired by the chats on Conversation with a Chef. At the time, he was living in Melbourne and working for Scott Pickett, which is always going to go in someone's favour as far as I'm concerned. Then I looked at the photos of the food he was putting up on Instagram and I thought, this guy really loves cooking. The next time I checked his feed, he was in Christchurch, my hometown, and that certainly piqued my interest some more. Caught up in lockdown, his plans to just stop over in New Zealand on the way to stage in the US and the Netherlands were more than just a little thwarted. But from talking to Ian, I get the idea that he's not someone who gives up easily, and he's certainly not someone who will rest on their laurels and just hope for the best. Ian has set up Hazel Dining, offering Christchurch diners an intimate dining experience in the comfort of their own home. Ian came out with some ideas that really made me think, and I loved every minute of our conversation. I absolutely know that you will too. Welcome to Conversation with the Chef. Thank you, thank you. I'm honoured to, uh, to talk with you. I've been following your page for, for a while at school. Uh, thank you, thank you. And I really like that we have this, um, there's a Melbourne Christchurch connection, because for me that's um, really important. Um, but um, So we were just saying that you're in Christchurch and it's cold and it's um, a bit sleepy old Christchurch, but at least you're all open and able to go out and do things. We're all... Yeah, yeah, yes. Very, very, very true. Um, yeah, I think, I think Jacinda and uh, who's the Labour Party dealt with uh, the COVID crisis very well. Um, yeah. Kind of set, set, the, set the bar in terms of what countries should be doing to handle it. Um, yes. But yeah, it's, it's, Christchurch is cool. I was just saying that it's um, from the northern... Uh, being from the Northern Hemisphere, this is the coldest I've been on August 1st. Um, so i got the heat pump blasting, which might interfere with our talk a little bit today. <laughs> but um, are you, you're from Christchurch? I am from, you, you from, okay, cool. yeah, no, I'm from Christchurch. So I moved over here um, after the earthquakes in 2011. Um, okay, yeah. So I had been thinking of moving, but that gave me the push to do it. Um, but yeah, I think I think Christchurch for its size and so on is amazing in terms of what there is um, on the art scene, music scene, food scene. Totally, totally. Yeah, you can feel that when you're in and around the city. And I got a friend that works for the um, is it the Court Theatre here? Yes. Um, so it's just very much like that kind of creative type, and you're so close to like the beach and uh, is it Banks Peninsula for foraging and yeah collecting muscles and that sort of thing so it's it's a cool little city it's more like a town i mean coming from melbourne you know melbourne was kind of the the hub um for for food and uh and arts and culture so it's a bit of a shock i think i was still kind of resentful that we're not in europe right now for for uh for the career uh, and for cooking but um although I mean, here. yeah and but there's, there's a great there's great spots here to eat uh, and to go out as well so just finding finding the local joints you know yeah. So how, how long have you been there? We arrived, uh, we left Melbourne like March 3rd or 4th. Okay. And then did a bit of a road trip on the North Island, uh, went to Fungamatan and all the spots, and then uh, came down to the South Islands. My girlfriend's from Ashburton, our family's in Ashburton, we came down to spend a few days with them, 
you know, she wanted to introduce me to the family for, for a day or two. Yeah, great. And uh, we ended up living there for like two months. It was yeah. a few days before lockdown. So we were wow. homeless and they graciously put us up and fed us and, and kept us well for the, the few months that we were in lockdown. Yeah, because I was wondering, because I've seen on your posts, Ashburton, and I was thinking, you'd have to know someone from there. No one from Canada just turns up in Ashburton. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think, I don't think anyone would really stop in Ashburton no. uh, <laughs> unless they needed to, like, get something to eat on the way to Queenstown. Yeah. No. <laughs> Although, they the, do the, have the, an amazing... KFC or something, gas yeah, station. Yeah, that's right. They do have an amazing new art centre in Ashburton, I think. Um, okay. Yeah. I'll have to check that out next time. I'll yeah. Now, so tell me, um, Ian, what's been your? So you're from Canada. Whereabouts in Canada are you from? Uh, just north of Vancouver. Okay. So speaking of stopping uh, at fast food joints off the highway, if you were to travel from Vancouver to Whistler, um, you'd pass McDonald's, and that's in uh, my hometown, Squamish. Okay. So again, kind of, it was the the sleepy little mountain town. Um, on the west coast before the olympics were announced mm. that's going back oh god 2005 okay. uh, we had the winter olympics 2010 and then it's just kind of exploded into um a bit of a bedroom community for people living in in the city it, it kind of is a little bit like the ashburton of christchurch okay or the ashburton of vancouver um you know two or three decent restaurants uh, 20,000 people, but heaps of like biking and hiking and climbing and, and all that stuff. And is that what your um, childhood was made up of, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think my mom said one time the best babysitter she ever had was like the forest, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so uh, she always says boys will be boys, so it was always out there with friends like getting dirty and, you know, playing cowboys and Indians or whatever the childhood games were at the time, yeah. um, and kind of grew up, it was cool, like I was chatting with my girlfriend about this not long ago. We kind of grew up um, as the last generation free from kind of the uh, the chains of technology. So coming home after school, we were always outside playing street uh, playing street hockey or uh, kicking a ball around or yeah. like I said, in the, in the bush. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, grade 9, grade 10 was kind of when Facebook and cell phones became a thing. Yeah, right. Um, so I still remember VHS movies <laughs> and going to the video store to rent movies on a Friday night. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a charm to that. I think it's great that um, that we can remember those times because I think that um, it was a, it was certainly a different time and and I think it was charming. <laughs> I think it was oh, totally. I think I, it was I, wholesome I miss, and charming. I miss, I miss I, I'm like nostalgic for those times. Eh? Yeah. So, um, and when you were growing up, did you, um, was your family really into food or what made you, did you, what, what made you think about becoming a chef? Yeah, you know what, like when we, when did I talk to you or we set this up last week, mm. I was kind of anticipating that question and trying <laughs> to uncover an answer uh, for myself, but I'm not from a foodie family. Um, my parents are divorced, um, so dad, dad's dad been married a couple times, so he didn't really do a lot of the, uh, the cooking when I was visiting him, um, and mom just really fed, fed me to nourish me, you know, that really like... Um, kind of, I don't want to call it working class, but really like wholesome, easy, filling food that still to this day is probably my, you know, my favorite meals or something that's mom cooked, yeah. mom has cooked, and it'd be, you know, curry beans and uh, sausages or uh, mince and beans with like white bread and butter um, yeah. and a cup of tea maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we would go just down the road from our place in Squamish, there's a really, really amazing Japanese restaurant. And I remember uh, every payday, so every second Friday, mom would take 
myself and her down to the Japanese uh, restaurant for dinner. Um, and it kind of, I was like, we started doing that like five, six, uh, age of five and six. And yeah. that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, there's other foods out there. There's different, there's different things to eat. Um, there's different people, people eat different things. And I remember mom would get like beef tataki, um, or, uh, you know, sushi, raw fish and we eat with chopsticks. And it was kind of this big, cool, uh, event, um, uh, twice a month. Mm. So that kind of opened my eyes. I think maybe planting the seed for, for years down the road. And I had no idea or no, no thought of ever, um, uh, becoming a cook or cooking or becoming a chef. If, if we want to say chef, I don't know necessarily what, a, who a chef is or what a chef is, but Ooh, my, mom will, my mom will tell you that like, she always knew I was going to cook. Right. Um, she had never ever told me what she thought I should be doing with my life except like twice. And she said, you know, I think you should be a chef. And I, I would truly, I would laugh at her. Like, mm. It was so far from my thinking and, and my worldview and my values. Like, I, it just wasn't even a, a job or, like, something that I could see. But, you know, it didn't, it didn't, uh, didn't mean anything to me. Um, and then, yeah, I went to, went to university, did a year of architecture. Because that's what my dad does. Uh, planning to take over the family business. Didn't, didn't really like it. I wanted to make a lot of money, and you don't go into, like, <laughs> the creative uh, careers to make money, uh, as it turns out. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, so I transferred into business. Um, and really excelled in, in studies in terms of, like, academic success, like valedictorian and straight A's. Wow. Didn't drink, didn't smoke, just studied, 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 and, and did really well. And then I thought gra- upon graduating that, like, life was was going to be easy and figured out because um, I worked so at university, but um, it didn't turn out that way. Um, started working in finance in Vancouver, like three-piece suit every day, um, shiny shoes, you know, the 30th floor of a big finance building downtown Vancouver. Um, from the outside, looking in, I, like I should have been happy and, you know, was doing really well, but I was just desperately unhappy, just yeah. hated every, every minute of it. Um, so just kind of fighting that, um, the notion that, uh, that was kind of what success meant, um, based on, I guess, like the the confines of society that we've all agreed, agreed upon. Um, and then, yeah, I just crashed and burned, was just, was just tired of it. So I got a job working for like, I think it was like 15 or 16 bucks an hour at a brewery, uh, just down the road from my house. And that was kind of my start into hospitality. Yeah, right. Uh, just slinging beer and putting labels on, on beer bottles for Black Kettle Brewing. They're still around in, in North Vancouver. Wow. And that was, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of the end. And then, um, <laughs> or was I it was the, bartend- bartending, <laughs> sorry? I was going to say, was it the beginning of happiness? It, it was that, yeah, for sure. I mean, one, once my ego died, um, then yeah, I, I think I could lean into the happiness. But it was a, lo- a long time of just self-loathing and, and thinking that, you know, um, working in a hospital like, isn't a real career. Yeah. Um, I've let my parents down. I've spent like forty thousand dollars for an education, and you know I'm making a less than minimum wage. That sort of thing. Mm. Just the, the demons that you fight with. Um, what was the turning point? Um, like making the switch in hospitality. Yeah. Well, from, from yeah, from accepting hospitality um, as a as a career for you. What made you embrace it? Um. Yeah, that's a good question, eh? Um, 
I like I, I think looking back now, I was just severely depressed in finance. Yeah. Just like it was just so people only just talked about money and you know, a bit of a boys' club, like how many girls they'd slept with or yeah. the the client they were working on, how much their commission was gonna be. It just like wasn't fulfilling. Mm. Um so once I quit that, I didn't have anything lined up and I spent probably three months sleeping on mom's couch, just kind of dismantling my life uh, and kind of trying to establish some sort of uh, value system and, and how I wanted to navigate the world. Um, and then, you know, hospitality or bartending was just like a job and it was fun. And I was, uh, you know, really listening to my dad's advice, which was, you know, you just had all the success in school um, just go and have fun and like, just go pour beer and drink and party and get all that like young male energy or whatever, um, kind of out of your system. They're not young male energy, just young person energy, I should say. Yeah. Um, out of your system and, and have some fun. Um, but I just got bitten by that, that hospitality bug, you know, bartending, um, just kind of that social high you've gone mm. and it's fun. And once you kind of accept that you're... I mean, you, you, you can't deny it when you're somewhere um, that makes you happy. And it just takes time to accept it for yourself, I think, that, you know, I don't have to subscribe to someone else's idea of success if I'm happy doing this. Mm. And I was very happy bartending. I was really creative. It was really fun. I was bartending uh, downtown Vancouver after the brewery, making tons of money and, and, you know, working on my new ideas and that sort of thing. And then... Um, that job came to an end. I got a job at this Sea to Sky Gondola up in uh, Squamish, my hometown, and was bartending up there. And then in the uh, in the winter when it was slow, I would help out um, the chef in the kitchen just because for extra hours. And you know, I would throw on an apron and literally cut like you know two hundred kilos of like mushrooms or something <laughs> for six hours. Um, yeah. And I didn't know how to hold a knife properly, and I didn't know you know how to clean a mushroom or to put a paper towel under my chopping board so it wouldn't slip, you know. But I, I was just, like, wonderfully um, and naively happy cutting mushrooms for six hours. Yeah. And I was like, I could, I could probably do this. Like, this is fun. Um, and, and then I was, I was hooked. And then that, that, that was probably a turning point, was cutting mushrooms, <laughs> uh, funny enough. Um, but cooking, even, even in hospitality, there were people that said, like, you should be a chef. Like, you belong in the kitchen. I, again, just didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Um, and cooking was just too complicated for me. Like, I could understand a cocktail. You know, you base your base liquor and some modifiers and juice and some bitters and shaken or stirred and whatever. Um, it was kind of easy and approachable. Um, and generally, if you put liquor in front of people, even if it doesn't taste that good, they're going to get drunk anyway and have a good time. <laughs> so the, like, risk-reward was, was manageable. Yeah. Um, but cooking there just you look at a, a wonderful plate of food like there's so many elements and there's so much technique and things you have to know about you know braising a beef cheek or sauteing or searing or seasoning or what's in season all that stuff yeah. so it's just intimidating um, but uh, yeah so when the head chef at the gondola or sorry one of the sous chefs at the gondola left to take over a restaurant um, in town, I kind of begged him for a job. I was like, just take me with you. Um, you know me, you know my personality. Like, just teach me how to cook. Yeah, wow. Um, and that was, that was it. That was March 2017, I think. So I haven't been cooking that long. Yeah. Um, but, um, so once yeah, you, so just, sorry, go ahead. Once you, um, 
he taught you a few things. Did that demystify it for you? Because because um, obviously now you you are cooking. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it did. It did. I think it just it was more confidence. Anything of like being in a kitchen, being online uh, on a Friday, Saturday night, and just you know serving two hundred people. Yeah. And it was very like basic small town food. Like it was a kind of Cajun barbecue place. We had like a smoke grill back, so we would smoke ribs and, and chicken wings and pulled pork and you know potato or uh, French fries and uh, burgers and that sort of thing. So like uh, culinarily, the, the technique behind the food was kind of um, uh, minimal. Mm. Um, but it was kind of the, the, the corner joint in, in town where you'd come for a burger and a beer and, and sit for hours on the patio and order more and order more. So um, we would get slammed there Friday, Saturday nights. And it was just, it's kind of like if you've read anything um, by Bourdain, it was kind of like I was living kind of kitchen confidential, you know, that kind of pirate ship, uh, yelling, screaming, uh, friar culture. It was great. I was hooked. The energy, <laughs> the heat, the swearing, uh, beers before work during work, after work. Right. Um, you know, when you're 20, what well, was I, 23, 24, um, you don't want to be anywhere else, you know. Mm. Uh, I was on top of the world. Yeah. And what happened then? Because, so what's the jump thing? Because that's not that long ago. And then when you're in Melbourne, you're <coughs> cooking with Scott Pickett, and that's a um, more of a fine dining kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So tell me what um, happened. What happened after the the burger slinging beer drinking? Yeah, so clearly by that time I'd accepted that this is what I wanted to do with my life. Mm. And coming from kind of the, the the story I just described with finance and kind of being unhappy, um, I was very much okay with like living in a tent and just cooking and being happy. Like I was okay with that. So once I kind of accepted that, I got over the fear and kind of acknowledged this is what I want to do. I just went. Um, head first into um, looking at it as really like a craft and something that I would have to um, not master, but like you want to be good at what you do. Mm. Um, so I approached it like I did my studies, like heaps of reading. I was ripping through cookbooks, um, reading every autobiography, biography on, on chefs I could, I could think of. Um, and still, I still do that to this day. Um, I've always got my nose in some sort of book, some sort of, uh, culinary literature um and do you take notes i know that um some people always have a notebook ready to write down their ideas or are you just me oh, mentally I, I, send you a picture. I think i have like maybe honestly right now six or seven notebooks wow it drives me insane i think my, <laughs> my memory and brain system is like external to my body yeah um yeah so there's always a scribble somewhere uh, in a book or, or notebooks um yeah but um yeah, so then, sorry, to answer your question, just just talking with people and chefs, like, I don't know what, what, what the next step should be, like, I don't know where to go, and um, if, we're, if we're equating uh, Ashburton with Squamish, you know, there, there's nowhere really to go in that same town that's going to kind of project you to the next level. So I was thinking Vancouver, but that was still a little too close to home, and there's maybe, like, one restaurant I can think of in Vancouver. Ah, no, I shouldn't say that maybe like two or three that I would really kind of fight for a job or like stodge to try and get into. Um, you have Bauhaus, you have Hawksworth, um, Pigeon is fairly new that opened up, uh, which is great. Kind of like Asian, Asian food. Um, but it was just too close to home. 
Yeah. And around that same time, I was reading, I think it was Canada's 100 Best List. They did some little write-up or someone did a write-up on Melbourne or the food scene in, in Australia. So it was always kind of like, um, in my mind, in Melbourne. And then, uh, obviously, MasterChef. I hate that I'm bringing up MasterChef. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking to you, but MasterChef Australia was on. So there's always just talking about, like, Melbourne and, and spots in Melbourne. Um, and then uh, we hired a chef from New South Wales at the, at the Copper Club, the place I was working. And he was like, dude, you just, we, we would just hang out and talk about food all the time. And he was just like, dude, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of this town. You got to get out of this restaurant. Just buy a one-way ticket and, and go to Melbourne and cook. And that's essentially what I did. Wow. I had no money, uh, heaps of credit card debt. Um, I just like rolled up my knives and put my stuff in a bag and, uh, yeah, and flew to, flew into Sydney. And then he, he was back in Australia at that time. So he put me up for a week. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I took the bus and train to Melbourne, lived in a hostel for, I think three months. Wow. In St. Kilda? The first week, sorry. In St. Kilda? No, no, I'm happy, I'm happy I wasn't saying it's until because I wouldn't have gotten any work done. I was at the Europa Hostel on Queen Street. Okay. So like two blocks down from Queen Pick Market, like just where uh, Scott had his, uh, the deli. Yeah. Uh, which I think now is like a fried chicken joint. Um, yeah, and then just started walking around the city handing out resumes, and I didn't really have any restaurant in mind. I just wanted something quick and easy, uh, get some money in the bank, and uh, to move out of the hostel. And, uh, and yeah, that was it. And then I walked into, um, Pickett's Deli and, uh, and yeah, the rest is history, I guess. That yeah. was the start. Yeah. And that, that was a really, really, really cool place to eat or a really cool place to work. So I'm not sure if you'd ever eaten at the, uh, at the deli. No, I haven't. No. Yeah. Um, so we ended up selling that, um, I think a few months ago. Yeah. But, um, it, it was really like a scratch deli or scratch cafe. Like we did everything by hand. So learn a lot, um. The head chef there, Ale, I'm still in, in touch with, really close with, and he was from Foodamond, and the sous chef there, Bruno, was um, well well educated in, in food as well, and did a time at, at Dom in Brazil. He's a Brazilian chef, so it was like them and me, you know, and I came <laughs> from like flipping burgers and like dunking french fries. <laughs> so when, when they said like, you know, we did a Bernier's, I remember the first morning, uh, you know, like learning how to make a Bernier's or Hollandaise or we made our own brown sauce and we made our own pastrami and brine chicken and like the learning curve was huge. Yeah. But it was incredible. Like, you know, if I believe in a God, he definitely kind of directed me to that, to that, uh, wow. that cafe. Um, and you mean- learning was, learning was astronomical. And then obviously getting, getting to work with Scott and meet Scott and, and the boys on his team is pretty cool. He is such a character and he's so driven and I just, he so believes in hospitality and I think he gathers staff around him who have that same ethos and it's um, always such a pleasure to be in any of his establishments. I'm, I just am in awe of Scott Pickett and what he's done for um, hospitality. Totally. He's like, I don't think he gets enough, I don't know what the word is, like credit or recognition maybe outside of Australia. Like, yeah. I'd never heard of him. Um, like, globally, like, I knew Voodamond existed before I came to Australia. Um, and, like, Neil Perry uh, and Rockpool, like, all the old, those boys. Um, but, um, yeah, when you get into Melbourne and you drop his name, like, everyone's in awe of Scott, and rightly so. Rightly so. Like, his energy is, yeah. like, palpable. And, and 
his standard and his quality and his palate and like what he wants to see come out of the, the kitchen and into the dining room. Yeah. Um, yeah, re- really amazing guy to work for. Yeah. So I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to work at, at the deli and we just in at Matilda. Yeah. And he took me up to, uh, to Y River with, um, with his maintenance guy, Marty, because I guess he, he bought uh, some property up there and he asked me if I would help. So my weekend I went up with, with Scott and him and we just worked on this, this plot of line. So I kind of got to know him more and like outside of the kitchen. Yeah. Or yeah. outside the restaurant, sorry. And he's still like that personality and that obsession and to, to, to detail is, is very much who he is. And it's amazing to see really inspiring. Yeah. Really inspiring. Yeah. And um and you mentioned foraging um now that you're in New Zealand, but um did, how did you find out about I mean who taught did someone teach you about foraging? Did you do that here or did you is that a book um, a book thing or what? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of, bit of everything, I guess. Definitely. I mean, I can answer that question in a very long-winded way, but yeah, really really just reading about it. Yeah. Um like if, if you're if you're reading about food right now or autobiographies or or uh, if, if you're not if you're not living under a rock you know that like really awesome restaurants are forging a lot of their own stuff right now yeah excuse me obviously that, that kind of started or maybe not started but was made um, extremely popular and well known with Noma um, and there's just like a connection I get with. Uh, essentially my value is I, I want to be, I don't really want to participate in, in my personal life. I don't want to participate in kind of like this industrial, uh, food chain that unfortunately we have to be a part of, you know, like mm. uh, going to, going to new world or Woolworths and, and buying chicken that doesn't look like chicken or buying beef that doesn't look like beef or yeah. a cow and, and everything is so processed and 90% of what is, is processed now is just derivatives of corn. Um, you know, we are really just eating corn. Um, so to, to, long story short, I want to be part of like the beginning of that process, the middle and the end myself, right? And that would start with either growing something in your garden, cooking it and feeding it to someone yeah. um, versus like going to the supermarket at the end of that process and just, you know, altering it a little bit and feeding it to someone. So there's like this immense satisfaction that we get or I get going out fishing, like I grew up fishing mm. um, back home. So th- there's nothing really, in my opinion, that comes close um, to like lion caught salmon out of a river and yeah. you gut it and clean it, take it home and put it on the barbecue. Um, and yeah, the Japanese have kind of perfected the, the, the killing and the aging and kind of the curing of, of fish, but fresh salmon and fresh halibut uh, that you don't alter, in my mm. opinion, is, is a gift from God. Um, yeah. But yeah, so really just getting out and seeing where food comes from, mm. you know, um, I think it's a responsibility of every cook um, to know where their food comes from and to be part of that kind of procurement process. Yeah. Um, and also people people dig it when you put down a plate of food and like, you know, at least one element is from your garden, like garnishes I have in the back right now um, in Christchurch, even like little herbs or micro herbs or, or flowers, you know, from the garden. Number one, it's cheaper. Number two, you know, you can say, hey, the garnish is from my garden. Like, that's just cool. Well, it's immensely people, satisfying, people like isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I often bring up um, Annie Smithers, um, who has her restaurant out at Trentham, um, Du Fermier, and she has a large potager garden that she uses that, that actually serves her kitchen. Um, oh, sweet, yeah, yeah. 
And she just talks about the respect that you have for a product when you've nurtured it through from a seedling through to a, you know, so you're not, you're not wasting things. You're, you're celebrating this, this thing that you've seen grow from kind of nothing into this incredible thing we can eat. So I think, um, totally. totally. And, and it goes with anything. Like if you're standing in a, um, in an ice cold river in, um, January, so back home when the winter steelhead move up river and they're very elusive, you know, they're like the snow leopard. You're lucky to, to, to catch one in your life. Uh, if you're standing in an ice river in, in two feet of snow, mm-hmm. in Canadian winter, waiting for this fish to maybe come and you catch one, like the amount of respect you're going to have for that fish and everything on its body is immense. You know, yes. uh, you know everything can be used. Yeah. And so that, that's the extreme, obviously, but, you know, broccoli out of the garden. I think the statistic I read or have is we, we waste 30% of um, the edible plant matter on a cauliflower before it even enters um, the processing chain, right? So right, right at the ground when it's, it's pulled up, 30% of the leaves and everything we can eat that are delicious, that tastes wonderfully like cauliflower, are thrown away. Yeah. You know, and then it gets to the supermarket and then we bring it home and what do we do? We peel back all those like leaves to get at the white kind of bland cauliflower. <laughs> um, but like if you taste the leaves, they're the best part. Yeah, wow. You know, they're, yeah. They're, they're incredible. Um, and same goes with broccoli, uh, the stem and all that stuff. So. Well, I was talking to someone at Stoke House, um, one of the chefs there, and he was talking about Brussels sprouts. And to be honest, I did not even know that Brussels sprouts grew on those massive stalks. So that was yeah, number one. I didn't. Yeah, you should you should plant um, if you have the means to plant. You should plant a Brussels. Yeah, and then he was he was doing. Yeah, he was doing stuff with the actual stalk, like he was kind of charring it and using it a bit like a marrow bone, where he was. Oh, you know, like, and I was like, oh my god, like, this is, yeah, it's, this is why I love talking to chefs, because I think... Yeah, it's insane, it's <laughs> insane. I think, like, um, yeah, my, I don't know, brother-in-law, my girlfriend's sister's husband, um, has often been like, I wish I was that creative, just because I'll, I'll get, like, an idea of something, and, so yeah, I love, I love talking to other chefs about that, because it's, it's super inspiring. Now all I can think about is making like a vegan bone marrow out of Brussels sprouts. I know, I know. Cool. But also, uh, as you were saying, when you first started off, not knowing to put like a paper towel underneath your chopping board, um, I do, well, before all this COVID stuff happened, I was um, volunteering <laughs> once a month down at Fair Share, so just cooking up um, oh, yeah, food yeah. For, um, for people in need. And, um, and just when the chefs there come over and go, oh, look, just chop it up like this, just the techniques that you guys have that are just so practical and um, shortcuts and amazing. I just, I'm just, I'm always in awe. I'm like, oh god, like why didn't I think of that thing? Or you know, I'm just thinking, right, right, yeah. Because I'm, st- I'm still like that, and I think that's the key is like surrounding yourself with people that are better than you. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, that that guy, that's a way better way of doing this. But I think it comes up out of. Um, like a need or a necessity. Like, and I learned that at Matilda when you have lunch service and dinner service. So you're doing, they're open what, seven days a week. I think Scotty's doing brunch there now too, right? On Sunday. Um, so you're doing, was that 14 services a week? Like if something will save you 30 seconds or a, a way of cutting this or prepping this is going to save you a, a minute or two. Um, you're going to do the faster, more efficient way. Right. Yeah. 
So, but tell me what you're doing in Christchurch. So you're doing a um, private dining thing, or is, is that what you're yeah, doing? Yeah, so it's, it's um, kind of, I, I kind of, I guess the elevator pitch is like, fine, not fine, I don't want to call it fine dining, I don't know what fine dining is, but <laughs> high-end um, private dining uh, in the comfort of your own home. So we've had more than 10, less than 20 dinners, and I'm offering a three, five, seven course for up to six guests. And we come, we cook, we clean, um, and you just kind of sit back and, and pour your wine as you see fit, and we take care of the rest. Yeah. Uh, and people have been really responsive. It kind of came out of the idea, or the idea came out of, um, you know, lockdown. And I was just so gutted just seeing on Instagram, like, friends and colleagues and, and everyone across the world in hospitality just getting hammered. Like, the industry was just hemorrhaging. Yeah. Um, and someone back home, uh, one of the restaurants or cafes had put a chalkboard outside their restaurant. And he was saying something like, you know, if you want to, um, if you want to know what it's like to work in hospitality during a pandemic, it's the same as like the, the band on the Titanic, you know, when the scene where they're like, just keep playing mm. the boats going under, that was kind of like, that's the mentality of cooks. Like we just want to cook. Yeah. That's all I want to do, uh, even if this ship is sinking. So I was really scared. Well, I was terrified, actually, that I just wasn't going to have, not a job, but like an industry to come into. Um, and and we were on our way to the Netherlands. You know, we were just, like I said, stopping through New Zealand to, to do a bit of a road trip. And then I was going to try and go push and get a get a job at like a Michelin star restaurant or something in Amsterdam. Mm. Um, but uh, I was aware the jobs were going to exist. We're going to sing in in New Zealand. So the thought or the idea was, well, if I if I can't get a job, I'll create a job. Yeah. So I just kind of sat down, and wrote a menu, and uh, created a little website, and it kind of took off. I think it was, I think COVID kind of was a blessing in that sense. Was um, or in that, uh, you know, when when New Zealand started opening up again, people weren't um, going to restaurants as often, but they could accommodate groups of up to 10 in their homes, you know, so, yeah. um, people were throwing dinner parties, uh, the first couple of weeks and they just wanted like restaurant quality food, but they didn't want to leave their house because their house was a safe zone. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were just extra cautious and we'd all been in, like I said, quarantine for whatever that was, four weeks. So we knew we were all clean and good to go and we're going to get anyone sick and yeah. Yeah, and then New Zealand's quite small, so just word of mouth and referrals and yeah, a bit of stuff on, on social media and chatting with people like you, so it's yeah. been cool, and it's been really gratifying, like, cooking, I think that's the next step where that, that every cook wants, is, like, to cook their own food and to share it with people that are are willing to eat it, you know? Absolutely, and yeah. it's, well, that's what hospitality is, isn't it? It is that, um, and you said it before, especially if you're able to bring it right through from the very start of that product that you've taken all the way through to then put on someone's plate and to see their joy in eating that thing. I think that that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I don't want to say it's, it's better than sex, but it's pretty close. <laughs> it's, it's pretty close. Um, it's interesting. I think Christchurch is good with, um, 
like that kind of scenario because even when I was finishing off at university um I was a I was a waitress for a French chef who went into people's homes um but I had this really funny experience where he said to me he went oh look um you just have to accept that you know because I'm a French chef everyone just thinks I'm great and then and they'll probably be, be a bit snobbish to you which is exactly what happened and um and I had these people going oh dear did you never think of doing anything other than you know, being a waitress, and I, I just remember this triumphant moment when I had just completed my PhD, and I said to them, "Well, actually, <laughs> this is just a side gig." I've just, but I just thought, but you know, and then I, I thought, "What, what is this?" But I think it's, I think it's great that chefs are so well thought of. Um, <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you about that because a couple of times you've qualified things. Um, number one, what's a chef and what's a cook, and also what is fine dining. Do you have a, a bit of an aversion to labels being put on to things or what? Yeah. 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 I, like, I, I could speak for a long time on, on that topic. Um, yeah, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know, rebellious by nature or like, I'm sure, I'm sure in like a few months I'm going to hate foraging. No, I shouldn't say that. But like, I hate <laughs> things that become very like popular because they're popular. Yeah, but foraging like, is... It just turn, it turns me off. <laughs> I'm really like, one of my values is authenticity. And I think when something becomes popular, especially in today's age with Instagram... Um, well, just don't things. just don't Instagram your foraging because foraging is foraging <laughs> yeah. is primordial. Like that, you don't get more That's authentic right. than right. foraging. It, but go, just, it goes back to like our, like, um, you know, animalistic reptilian <laughs> brain. Yeah, kind of just don't piece. just don't tell yeah, people right. about it. Just don't yeah. Instagram about it. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like when things yeah, become, sure. like a certain restaurant becomes popular, like I, I, I don't want to trash other cooks or, or anything, but um, I went to Chin Chin when I first got to Melbourne and I thought it was going to be like awesome. And it was just not, you know, it just really wasn't great. And there was like a huge lineup at the door. And I was like, oh, maybe they're just having an off day. So I went back again, and it was the same thing. So I'm kind of like had this aversion to like, like even Noma when they did their um, like burger bar. You know, the lineup outside. Like, I want to eat there because it's Noma, but is it the Noma it was like ten years ago? Yeah, probably not. You know. So to, to answer your question, labels. Yeah, I just don't. The people I really admire, or or the two people in particular that I really kind of have up on a pedestal. Um, in, in this industry, in this game, um, are like the like opposite of what you'd think a chef is, um, or like yeah, I don't even know like what what is a chef? Is it someone that went to like culinary school in France and then like works his way up and or her way up and and then kind of takes over a restaurant as a head chef for a few years and then opens their own place and then has like their name on it, but doesn't cook anymore. Like, you know, Gordon Ramsay, how many times is he like cooking? Is he a chef? Is he, I don't know. Like I cook food, you know? Yeah. Um, um, so, um, yeah, I mean, David Chang, like I'm a big, like he's really inspired me and he, He'll tell you, well, he does in his, his first cookbook, Momofugo. Like, he had no no business opening a restaurant. And that, those are his words. He's like, I, I had no business opening a restaurant. Um, you know, he, 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 he cooked at, like, some really good places, but not for a long time. He never, he never was a sous chef. He never was a head chef. Now there was I. 
Um, and when he tried to recruit people that he used to work with, they would, didn't want to work with him because he just wasn't good enough. You know, like that, that they said, like, dude, you know, I don't want to work with you because you're just not that good. And look at him now. Yeah. And same, um, there's a chef, uh, a one-star chef out of Chicago, uh, Elena Reagan, who I got in touch with over Instagram after finishing her book, Burn the Place, which if anyone's into cooking at all, I highly recommend reading it because um, it's like the most honest account of cooking uh, I've ever read. And she's super honest about her own shortcomings and substance abuse that kind of we don't, we've all dealt with. Um, but I got in touch with her. And, and it's the same thing. Like she, she was, a, I think a server most of her career in hospitality and then, and then started cooking and opened, opened up a restaurant, but she went to school for like writing, you know? And so these are the kind of people that have like forged the path for me. And I, I, um, identify and connect with kind of that, that path and like, you know, culinary school and taking over a really intense restaurant. And then, you know, by the time you're like 33, you're just burnt out and don't have enough energy to to uh open your own place or cook your own food yeah it was just kind of like in in elena's book her uh her whole message is like what are you waiting for permission and when i read that i was like i think it's time to just like jump off the cliff Mm. and the parachute opens great and if it doesn't well i have a business degree i can always go like work for hands or something oh (laughs) (laughs) no but but you know what i mean like sometimes you just yeah so sorry what i I don't think linearly. Um, what was your question? Labels? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I let, I'll, let, I'll let other people decide. Like it's, yeah. I can't control how people describe me or or uh, what people want to label me. Like I cook food because it makes me happy and it exercises the creative part of me that I, I really enjoy. And like I've heard friends be like, you know, he's a chef, he's a fine dining chef. And I kind of like curl up on the inside like, oh God, that's like fingernails on a chalkboard well um, yeah but that's just i mean labels sometimes are just a way of people understanding what it is that you're doing and i mean when you look at i look at the photos you're putting up of your hazel hazel dining that's what it's called yeah hazel dining. Yeah. um of that food it does look fine dining but i mean that's only because it looks like it's done with precision and it's beautifully presented on the plate and it's it's not a burger and chips so like it's right, you know right. so it's fine dining but um Tell me, are you... Kind, kind, kind of you to say. Yeah. I guess, I guess if, from that lens, like it, it would maybe fall closer in line with kind of a higher-end uh, plating or more modern kind of well, plating and food than, than you, yeah, like you said, a, a hamburger. Well, or, or curried beans and mints. I mean, that's good food, but you're probably not <laughs> going to do that either, are you? So, um, if, if there's ever an opportunity for you to taste my mom's like <laughs> curry beans and sausages, it'll change your life. Oh, I, I believe you. I believe you. So, um, but get, tell me what's, um, what's on the next menu you're going to be doing? Give me an example of some of your food. Um, yeah, totally. Actually, if I can get a notebook. Oh no, I have it on my computer here. So you're obviously not cooking tonight. You're not doing a dinner tonight. No, no. Um, got to do some life administration marketing tonight um oh yeah i was working on some stuff for um kind of when the weather turns around so i was thinking of starting something with like a like a consomme or some sort of uh, bone broth like a really clear nice very well seasoned kind of uh amuse bouche Mm. kind of wet, wet the palate and then some sort of snacks or bites um I want to do a salad that's very 
Um, so I, if you've read my menu, it's very kind of like the dishes are named around kind of like two ingredients, right? Like cotton yeah. carrot or, um, yeah. you know, uh, I'm at a blank right now, but you get what I'm trying to say. Um, and that's kind of like, I, I like each bite to be <clears throat> like kind of that relationship or connection, right? Between like two ingredients or two elements in your mouth. So I want to do a salad that's plated up in that very same style where, um, it'll be like kind of little mounds of, of five or six bites of the same thing. Um, and again, really summary, like watermelon, radish, olive, uh, maybe some mango pistachios. Um, I've been playing around with like kind of the edible soil idea, which has been done. And it's, again, I don't really like it cause it's popular, but I want to do it cause I haven't <laughs> done it before. So I've been experimenting with like heaps of flour, like almond flours and double of flour and, um, uh, uh, ground coffee beans and just kind of toasting it um, to make kind of like a sweet edible flower. So again, kind of representative of like a summer garden, you know, mm. uh, maybe some prosciutto. Um, we got braised endive and radicchio down here for a course. Uh, you can see that working with like some sort of sauce, maybe. Mm. Um, cured snapper and kiwi or octopus and kiwi. Mm. Are you really cracking like my girlfriend made these, um, so when we first started dating, her dad said, uh, the way to a man's heart is through her, uh, through his stomach. Yes. So like the first few months we were dating, she was like cooking nonstop for me and it, I think it worked. Um, <laughs> so she made one night, she made these, uh, like fish tacos and she got this, uh, recipe for like a kiwi salsa out of, uh, like a Jamie Oliver cookbook and it's banging. It's really good. It's just, uh, kiwi cilantro, uh, the tops of green onions, uh, can't remember what else is in it, but yeah, it's really good. So I've been playing around with that. The kiwis are quite, um, they're not that sweet. They kind of have that like metallic tang on your tongue for quite a while after you've eaten it. So I've been trying to cure it or, um, macerate them in honey overnight to get rid of that and then kind of pure it up. Uh, pureed up into kind of like this salsa puree yeah and that would really go really well with any snapper um and then i've heard they're really good for curing um octopus as you were saying that if you cure octopus and kiwi juice that that does something to it tenderizes oh yeah yeah yeah. cool cool that'd be i could see that working because it's not far off from like lime juice or the acid or something yeah um yeah and then there was a really awesome dish at Matilda with uh, tiger's milk and snapper. So it was kind of reminiscent of that, that time. Yeah. Um, and then I'm getting into like pickling a lot at home here and making kombucha. So I want to do like a, a pickle plate of, you know, maybe some traditional things you pickle like cauliflower and fennel and that sort of thing. But then maybe some other kind of unique stuff that I'll have to keep an eye out for the, for the markets here. That's one thing Christchurch is awesome for hey, is the markets. It's like every week all year round there's heaps of uh, market yeah good markets and stuff um barbecue yep. sauce and burn purple cabbage so um mm. yeah I want to do I want to burn purple cabbage because mm. I think it's really delicious um or just like char the shit out of purple cabbage on the end like mm. maybe steam it or braise it and then to serve it char really hard um and then I got beef short rib down here, but we had beef cheeks the other night that were really good as well. Um, I have a Norwegian waffle recipe from uh, old family friends, Norwegian uh, friends, 
that they used to cook for me. So I'd like to do that as a dessert. It's in the shape of like a heart and then just with some homemade jam and I'd probably churn my own butter. Let's see if I can churn butter because that's something I want to do. Mm. Um, banana phyllo I've written down here. So like a baked banana wrapped in phyllo pastry with some like maybe chocolate, caramel, something. And then um, final course of refreshing dandelion and honey tea. So I've been playing. I don't. I don't drink anymore. So um, I've kind of been toying with the idea of doing um, like a uh, non-alcoholic drink pairing, or incorporating kind of like drinkable elements into the dish mm. or into the into a menu as well. Mm. Kind of like the consommé and, and tea, and maybe like kombucha, um, kefir, mm. uh, that sort of stuff. So. Wow. Yeah. It's all just like a, lo a lot of things are just like I'm just reading yeah. to you things that are just on this page in front of me. But, yeah. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. It sounds great. It's, all, it's, it's an illness. It's just an obsession. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good obsession to have, I think. <laughs> it's healthy, yeah. So you'll be there doing that for the next while, I suppose, until you can get over to the Netherlands. Is that still a plan? Yeah, that's the plan. I really, just, just for the learning, I have um, the chef I mentioned, Elena Reagan. I'm going to be working with her or starting with her, her new project in the upper um, Michigan Peninsula ah. uh, in the U.S. in this time next year. Amazing. Um, so I'll be there. And then, yeah, it just, just uh, again, for the skill and the technique and then, uh, and then uh, bringing that all back home. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to do... Um, some a couple pop ups here, you know, take over some restaurants or like some small hole in the wall places. Yeah. And just do like a dinner for ten to fifteen people. Yeah. Um, before we leave, so Have yeah, you... we'll, we'll we'll see how we go a day at a time, you know. Yeah, but Ian, thank you so much for your time. I feel like you've no, just thank you. from I really knew nothing about you, and now I feel like I've just got enough to write several books. <laughs> several books. Well, well uh, if you do. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah, let's um we'll stay in touch. Yeah. I'd love to, to meet you at some point. It'd be great. Get back over to Melbourne or yeah. something. So Absolutely. Well stay safe. Yeah, you too. All the best. Thanks for your time, Joe. It's nice meeting you. Thanks, Ian. Bye. Take care, bye. You've been listening to Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty, and thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to read the full transcript of the conversation, you can go to www.conversationwithachef.com or follow me on Instagram so you'll always be up to date with the latest conversation.